All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right, you guys, on the line, I've got Ken Silva. He writes for headlineusa.com, and we reprint it all. Great journalism at the Libertarian Institute as well. Ken, you got an interview with Andre Carl Strassmeyer? That's right, straight from the horse's mouth. Unbelievable. All right, so the piece is Andre Strassmeyer responds to TV miniseries depicting him as OKC terrorist. So this is actually a dream come true, a uh, fictionalized account of the lead-up to the Oklahoma bombing that was made popular and beamed into living rooms all across the land by Netflix recently, right? Or Showtime. Showtime, yeah, that's right. Okay, so tell us all about that, first of all. And this is, I guess I was confused because this is a sequel to the Waco uh, fictionalized miniseries that ran on Netflix back a couple of years ago, right? That's right, and that was a fantastic show, in my opinion, that was based off of the book of uh, one of the survivors, David Thibodeau, and a hostage negotiator for the FBI, Gary Nessler. Um, this latest show... I'm not sure exactly what it was based on, but it details the time between Waco until April 19th, 1995, the Oklahoma City bombing. And it it does a pretty good job showing that there was almost certainly others involved. I mean, uh, Andy Strassmeyer's in the show. They only refer to him as Andy the German in a, a white supremacist a compound called Elohim City is also included in the show. And the significance of this is that many believe, including I'm sure yourself, that Strassmeyer might have been a federal agent provocateur. And it's likely that there were people at Elohim City uh, that helped plan the attack and uh, McVeigh visited there as well. Timothy McVeigh. Mm -hmm. Okay, so did you confront him with that outright and just say, hey, did you help conspire to blow up that building and kill those people or what? Yeah, so um, Andy and I talked for about three hours, and obviously I didn't directly confront him. He'd just deny it. But we basically went through his whole story about, you know, why he came to the U.S. in the first place, uh, how a politically connected German national who speaks Hebrew has military training. You know, how did, it, how did a guy like that end up at Elohim City hanging out with, you know, right-wing militia guys? Uh, it, it's a wild story. All right. Well, so do tell. Okay. So, uh, like I mentioned, Andy Strassmeyer, he's the son of a politician who was once, uh, I think, the Secretary of State for German Chancellor Helmut Kohl. He uh, received a lot of military training, uh, a little bit of intelligence training. Uh, the extent to which um, he would debate, I, I believe there's reports saying that, you know, he. He received a lot of intelligence training, but he told me that, no, I was only in the infantry. Uh, it wasn't a big deal. Um, somehow, you know, his his story would be he was kind of a, a drifter, uh, you know, in his 20s, a young man who didn't know what to do, decided to come to America. Uh, he was linked up with some Civil War reenactment groups, um, eventually joined a militia called the Texas Light Infantry, that was a part of an FBI investigation into uh, stolen military equipment. Um, after the FBI, I think, made a few charges, they, uh, the fellow members suspected Strassmeyer of being an informant. So he left and wound up at Elohim City. And uh, his story and the story of some of his friends and his attorney, Kirk Lyons, is that they were trying to set him up with you know a, a nice girl to get him citizenship, and you know kind of get his life together, uh, and then that's around the time of, of the bombing. Okay, and then so Timothy McVeigh 
I think you say in the piece, he acknowledged that he had met McVeigh just the one time, right? Yeah, and apparently, according to Strassmeyer, that was on the day of the Waco massacre. Apparently, they met on April 19th, 1993. Uh, I take that with a grain of salt because there is other evidence that he had uh, frequent contact with McVeigh, but that's his story. Mm -hmm. All right, and then, so, what did he have to say all about Elohim City out there and his time spent there? Well, basically, he would paint it as more of a a Waco-like property. Um, you know, it's a religious compound, but the spiritual leader, Robert Millar, was all about peace and love. Uh, anybody's welcome there. And that's kind of how a few neo-Nazis wound up there. Uh, not because Robert Millar was encouraging it to be a, a place for neo-Nazis to hang out, but just because he views everybody as a children of Christ and he would not uh, he would not expel anybody from the compound. And then, so what about your other reporting on that? What did you think of that? Oh, well, I, I, I find that pretty dubious. I mean, first of all, it should be said that Robert Millar, he was an FBI informer. I don't know if he was ever considered officially an informant, but uh, he would frequently talk to FBI agents, including guys like uh, Danny Colson, who were uh, high up in the FBI and were investigating right-wing terrorism. Uh, there was a lot of other uh, federal informants at the property, including uh, the ATF informant Carol Howell, which, by the way, I should say is pretty much the protagonist of the Showtime show. Uh, the, the Showtime series depicts uh, FBI agents. They're, they're suspecting that an attack is being planned at Elohim City, so they, they send in Carol Howell. Uh, she's very brave. She sneaks into Andy the German's trailer, uh, finds bomb-making materials and uh, sh schematics, and tries to report this up to the chain to the FBI, but they kind of ignore her. They don't find her credible, and uh, the bombing happens. Uh, that's that's how the Showtime show depicts it. Mm -hmm. And then, so what did he have to say about Carol Howe? Well, he he's not a fan of Carol Howe. He claims that he sniffed her out as an informant uh, right from the beginning um, and claims that so Carol Howell told the ATF that, you know, uh, people at Elohim City were casing out federal buildings and planning an attack. And Strassmeyer says that that's total baloney and that she was just making that up to get paid. And in fact, I do have a little bit of audio clip of Andy talking about Carol, if uh, you'd like to listen to that. Yeah, go ahead. OK, let me get it up right here. Her handler, the, the BHF found out that she was lying. I was lying, and they got really upset about her. And that's why they pressed charges against her. Out of revenge, basically. Hmm. That's what I heard. Now, does it you make... Know, does it make... she was charged with some stuff. Uh, I know you haven't watched the full show, but Carol's kind of depicted as a, a, a hero. Uh, I, know, I know, I know, and I think I think the whole thing is looks out of Carol Howard's fantasy universe. She always wanted to be a hero. I mean, Carol Howard is an absolute nobody. She is, she can't she has she can't do anything. But she wanted to be like this Aryan warrior uh, queen. Whatever. What she could barely walk. She couldn't handle a gun. She was physically unable to do anything. Right. <laughs> and uh, I mean, but in her fantasy, she was a hero. And I think somebody must have bought her story and thought, oh, that's cool, you know, we can make a film out of this. I mean, the whole thing where she's a hero, I mean, she, first of all, she's a Nazi to start with. First time I saw her, she was walking on, Dennis Mehan uh, dragged her along, and uh, there was a trick on crutches with a big swastika tattoo on her arm. So yeah, that's what Andy talks a lot more about Carol in my interview. We we spoke for about three hours, but you know that's I can that's probably a good summary of his feelings towards Carol Howe. 
Okay, well, it's interesting, too, that he mentions Dennis Mahon, the former Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan there as well, so hold that thought. But on Carol Howe, did you press him on the fact that her ATF handler, Angela Finley Graham, admitted that she had not just warned her, but had even driven her to show her the building that they had cased and that Strassmeyer had threatened to blow up before the bombing ever happened. And did he have an answer for how she just happened to make that up? Uh, yeah, that's right. I did uh, present that evidence to him. Um, so Carol Howe, she warned federal agents that a attack was being planned at Elohim City around February 1995. Of course, the attack took place two months later. Uh, and then when the government was trying to pin it only on Timothy McVeigh, Carol Howe started speaking publicly like, no, that's nonsense. I was warning about it. There was others involved. And so the government turned on her and actually pressed charges against her for having um, explosive equipment and making bomb threats. Uh, when the equipment was, uh, she she obtained that while she was an informant. And so it was kind of like in her capacity as an, an informant, she had this. Um, and she was eventually vindicated and uh, all the charges, a jury found her not guilty of all the charges. And one of the key moments of her trial was when her former ATF handler, Angela Finney Graham, was testifying and Carol Howe's defense attorney asked her, like, well, is this true? Did she actually, uh, did she warn the ATF that, that people at Elohim City were planning this attack? And Angela fin Finley Graham said, yes, yes. And this was before the bombing. The, the defense attorney asked specifically, she warned you before the bombing? And Graham said, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I knew and that that was in a deposition. I didn't realize that they had also uh, done that during examination at trial, too. So that's great. And, yeah, of course, and what was going on? To answer your question, though, sorry. Uh, so Str I, I presented this to Strassmeyer, yeah. and he kind of chalked it off as a coincidence. He said, you know, any informant that wants to get paid is going to make up the most damning allegations that they can, and especially around the time of the first World Trade Center attack and um, other bombings or bomb plots uh -huh. by Nazis. Like this was a, an obvious route for Carol take, to take to uh, keep getting paychecks from the government. Mm -hmm. To pick out the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in downtown Oklahoma City as the target. Yeah, and as Jesse Trenadue's grandmother would say, uh, there ain't no such thing as a coincidence like that. That's completely crazy. Okay. Um, now, so tell us more uh, about Dennis Mahon and what he had to say about his relationship with Mahon. Because at one point, Mahon admitted doing it to J.D. Cash, although J.D. thought he was lying. Yeah, so Mahan, you, you mentioned that he was the Grand Wizard of the KKK, and I'm not familiar with that. I know he was a prominent member of the White Aryan Resistance, and he ran something called, like, I think, the Dial a Racist Hotline, where people <laughs> right, from around— I've forgotten that. He might, he might have been Grand Dragon. I'm trying to remember. It's been a while. Got it, got it. Well, so I, I think Carol Howe might have targeted him first because he was— a very prominent and public figure. And so Carol goes to Elohim City and Dennis kind of wants to make her the uh, the figurehead of the white supremacist movement. You know, this articulate, uh, beautiful young woman that is embracing uh, Nazism. And I think the story is that um, event uh, at first Carol was a legitimately a true believer, but then she she and Dennis didn't get along. Dennis might have roughed her up and beat her. And that is what inspired Carol to become an informant and get sent back in in that capacity and actually try to build a case against uh, Dennis and Strassmeyer and the other residents of Elohim City. Mm -hmm. Okay. And now, so we already know going back to what, 1997 at least, right? 98 with uh, Ambrose Evans Pritchard's book that the ATF took her warnings very seriously and they were preparing to raid the place and the FBI stopped them from raiding Elohim city. Isn't that right? 
That's right. I believe the story is the ATF was conducting surveillance from an airplane around February after receiving the information from Carol Howe. And, you know, they're up there in the plane and the plane, I think, is owned by the state police. And the pilot, who's a, a state uh, patrolman or state pilot, says, you know, I, you guys were just up here a week ago. And the ATF people go, wait, no, we weren't. And they check into it. And it turns out that the FBI had been conducting surveillance on Elohim City the week before. So I guess, you know, the ATF, the FBI, probably, you know, people from the DOJ get together, have a meeting about uh, what's to be done. And uh, the government story is that the FBI quashed the ATF's raid plan because they were worried that another Waco massacre uh, would happen. Um, others believe that the FBI quashed it because they had a, a larger investigation, possibly a sting operation uh, involving the bombing that they didn't want the ATF to interfere with. Mm -hmm. um, now, back to the question of whether this was really a white supremacist compound out there or whether it was just a compound full of all different sorts of kooks. He argues, and this is something that's been on the mind of um, alternative interpretationists for many years now, uh, that he speaks Hebrew. And I believe I had read at one point anyway that he had been stationed in Israel on some kind of joint task force of some kind or another. And so, in other words, I guess he's denying to you that he was ever a Nazi, but the previous or maybe an alternative narrative would be, yeah, but he was pretending to be a Nazi. And that if he was this close to the Israelis and he was pretending to be a Nazi, I guess that would make sense if he was just infiltrating white supremacist movements. But then it becomes a problematic problem when a building gets blown up, see? So what did he say all about that to you? Uh, I'll play his audio of exactly what he says in a little bit. Um, but I, I'll just mention at the start that I believe the story from investigators such as Roger Charles was that Elohim City was a relatively peaceful property, more akin to the Branch Davidians at Waco, until Andy Strassmeyer showed up. And that's when it started becoming militant. You know, they trade in their hunting rifles for, you know, AR-15s and more, more high-powered weaponry. And they start to get paranoid that another Waco might happen. And so they're kind of preparing for war. But uh, yeah, let me play you exactly what Strassmeyer has to say about his, his ideology and how he interacted with the Nazis, people like Dennis Mahan that did live there. Uh, you, it kind of sounds like you have a distaste for Nazis. And uh, that's one of the questions I have for you. Like, were you ever a true believer in white supremacy or anything like that? Or uh, how did you well, find I'm yourself consorting? I'm, I'm, I'm a very staunch Zionist, to be honest. For Israel, I spend a lot of time in Israel. I have friends over there. And uh, I never subscribe to any. And I'm, I'm, I'm probably, well, how would I describe in politics? I'm a libertarian socialist, right? And I believe in freedom of speech and uh, freedom of uh, to own firearms and all this stuff. So I was very sympathetic to the Patriot movement back then. And I'm also, I'm also very critical to the government uh, when the government becomes oppressive. And like with people, like let's say even extreme people's extreme views, I don't agree with. I don't agree when the government comes after them, locks them up or shoots them or stuff like this. That's exactly what happened to Ruby Ridge and Waco. So that's what he has to say about his ideology. Uh, and then, but you write in the article, I think that he says he didn't mind hanging out with the racists there. He liked to argue with them and debate politics and stuff like that. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Apparently, according to him, he would have you know discussions about these type of issues with people like Dennis Mahan. Um, I don't know. I'm. I don't know if that's true. I. I don't know if I believe him about that though. Mm -hmm. But he denied to you outright that he was any kind of undercover informant, or that at any point that he was actually posing as or pretending to be a Nazi in front of these other guys for any reason. 
Oh, that's right. He absolutely denies it to this day. According to him, it was a series of unfortunate coincidences that put him in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. Mm. And what about the strip club video where the girls are talking about a guy who sure sounds a lot like McVeigh hanging out with some weird German guy? That had to be them. And he's saying, just wait till April 19th. You'll know my name then. Yeah, there's reports and even somehow some surveillance footage from the strip club was saved, which is ironic because they lost the surveillance footage that was on the federal building. But the owner of a strip club, you know, was able to save his where strippers are talking about like, oh, there's these strange guys out there, you know, talking, you know, crazy. And they believed it was uh, Dennis Mahan, Timothy McVeigh and Strassmeyer. Um Kind of, I guess they had a couple of drinks and they were bragging to the girls, you know, this is, you know, on, on April 19th, you're going to remember us forever. Um, Andy and I actually didn't go into that very deeply in our interview. Uh, the, Andy recently talked to John Ronson for his, um, he did a podcast about Carol Howe and they discussed that issue when John Ronson interviewed him. I kind of viewed it as redundant and had different aims of what I wanted to ask for. But I, I'd recommend listeners, if they want to go see what Andy has to say about the strip club incident, uh, I guess check out John Ronson's podcast. Okay. I was interviewed for that, and then apparently I'm not in it very much. Maybe there's one little clip of me in there, so I haven't had a, a chance. I've got other jobs, so... Um... I haven't had a chance to listen to that, but can you remind us or can you tell us what it is that he says about that in there? Uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't remember off the top what exactly he said. I know Richard uh, spotted several inconsistencies and possibly lies coming from Strassmeyer, uh, but that's not something I have uh, off the top of my head. Okay, that's all right. Um, you know, I have here... What do I have? Oh, this is the wrong dang folder. Um, yeah, I can't find it. I'm sorry. I thought I had the uh, the strippers, the audio of the strippers talking about it. Um, all right. Uh, so where are we? Um, now, what did he say about all the Aryan Republican Army bank robbers? Did you go through the list of names and see what kind of reaction you could get there? Yeah, so that, that was pretty humorous uh, for a story as dark as this is. Um, so for your listeners, Elohim City was the hideout for the Aryan Republican Army, which was a group of neo-Nazi bank robbers who would use the proceeds of their crime to uh, fund groups like the Aryan Nations, the KKK. And it's um, widely suspected by me and many other researchers that they had a hand in helping fund, uh, possibly, if not McVeigh, then maybe getting different components or just putting together the bomb uh, with the proceeds of their crime. And uh, Strassmeyer was roommates with at least one of these guys, Michael Brescia, and two others, Kevin McCarthy and Scott Stedford, uh, lived on at Elohim City at certain points. And so I asked him about this, uh, and he claims that he didn't know that they were bank robbers until he got back to Germany, which is like about a year after the bombing, which i that's one thing that I, I find very, very hard to believe from Andy. Mm -hmm. And hey, look... Um I think I found the clip. Are they going to play the clip? Hang on. Yeah, here we go. Strip club in the company of a man with a dark complexion and another man with a German accent. Two weeks before the bombing, the staff there all recognized Strassmeyer with his buck teeth, his German accent. This is one point, talking. however, uh, McVeigh starts bragging about the bombing. And he tells the cocktail waitress... On April the 19th, 1995, you're never going to forget me. She comes out of, the, out of the restaurant into the changing rooms and tells the other girls about it. And that is caught on camera contemporaneously on a videotape. It's very powerful evidence. Yeah, I'm a very smart man. I said, you are. And he goes, yeah. 
and you're going to remember me. On April 1995, you're going to remember me for the rest of your life. So here we have the cocktail waitress basically predicting the Oklahoma bombing, having just left a table where Strassmeyer and Tim McVeigh were all sitting together. According to reports, Strassmeyer later denies being at Lady Godiva's with Timothy McVeigh. Uh-huh. And then, so that was the same thing. Uh, oh, you said you didn't get into that with him. No, um, but I did while you were playing that. I found Richard Booth's Twitter account. Richard Booth, uh, he does a lot of good research for the Libertarian Institute, helps you guys maintain the archives. Um, so he goes in to uh, John Ronson, pot, his podcast, where Ronson attempts to debunk the Lady Godiva sighting. Uh, so Ronson cites an FBI 302 report from someone named Pam Naok, in which she fails to identify the gentlemen who were at Lady Godiva's on April 8th. However, this doesn't quite match with all the other witnesses who did identify McVeigh and Strassmeyer, uh, says Booth. Um, let me go down. Of course, Andy denies having having been at Lady Godiva's that night, just as he did in 2000 when Ronsom asked him the very same questions. Uh, Booth said he's not buying Andy's denial or Ronson's limited hangout. Uh, yeah, so I guess Booth's main issue with John Ronson is that he didn't cite the numerous other witnesses who could have corroborated uh, the story. He only well, here uh, she cited told the one Washington Post. Here she told the Washington Post that she recognized McVeigh and John Doe too. Carol From, How did? No, the stripper. Oh, the stripper. John Doe too. Okay. Yeah. Um Peter Carlson, March twenty third, nineteen ninety seven. I think Michael Brescia might have been there, who is widely suspected to be John Doe too. Um, yeah, but him Rich- or Guthrie are the two most mentioned suspects for that role, I believe. Yeah, but Richard has doubts about that uh, because a lot of the witnesses describe John Doe too as a darker complexion, whereas like Michael Brescia is kind of like a, a paler skin Irish guy. Hmm. Uh, they describe John Doe too as being a bodybuilder with like a bull neck. I mean, a lot of people have seen the composite sketch. He's a he's a pretty he's a pretty thick boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but what reason do you have to believe that it was Brescia there as opposed to say, um, well, someone else, Guthrie or someone else? Uh, Brescia, his facial features kind of look like the composite sketch and he was a younger, uh, No, I mean guy. at the strip club though, you say you, you, uh, had reason to believe that he was the one at the strip club. Oh, at the strip club. Um, that's just my recollection of what uh, what some of the journalists who have studied that angle to this story more than I have. What the, what they said. I think I think somebody at one point placed Brescia at the strip club. I see. And another reason people think he's John Doe too is because when the FBI eventually arrested all the Aryan Republican Army members for their bank robberies. Brescia got off with a very, very light sentence. I think maybe five years, ended up serving uh, two or three, and now he's um, you know out out and about with a family, uh, living life like a, like a normal guy, which raises a lot of suspicions that he was somehow a fed because other people involved in that Aryan Republican Army are still in prison, including our friend Pete slash Donna Langan, who was one of the the founders of the Aryan Republican Army, um, he's getting life in prison. Uh, So that leads me to believe the people that got the lighter sentences might have been feds. And that this also, Pete Langan from prison has accused Kevin McCarthy, uh, Scott Stedford, and I believe Brescia of being involved uh, too. you know, that might be a convicted person trying to get revenge on his friends, but I think there's a lot of ev- other evidence that shows that Langan is on to something. He's probably telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Well, folks, sad to say, they lied us into war. All of them. 
World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq War One, Serbia, Afghanistan, Iraq War Two, Libya, Syria, Yemen, all of them. But now you can get the ebook, All the War Lies, by me for free. Just sign up for the email list at the bottom of the page at scotthorton.org or go to scotthorton.org slash subscribe. Get All the War Lies by me for free. And then you'll never have to believe them again. Hey, y'all, Scott here. Let me tell you about Roberts and Roberts Brokerage, Inc. Who knew? Artificial bank credit expansion leads to price inflation and terribly distorted markets. If you've got any savings left at all, you need to protect them. You need to put some, at least, into precious metals. Well, Roberts and Roberts can set you up with the best deals on silver, gold, platinum, and palladium. And they've been doing this since 1977. Hey, if you just need some sound advice about sound money, They're there for you, too. Call Tim Fry and the guys at 800-874-9760. That's 800-874-9760. Or check them out at rrbi.co. That's rrbi.co. You'll be glad you did. You know, this Washington Post article, I'm kind of scanning through it as we're talking, and they have every little thread about... um, John Doe 2 in here, many of which seem important and credible, but it seems like the effect of it, perhaps, and maybe this is just because it's such an old story, there are no paragraph breaks, and it just sort of looks like they're trying to overwhelm you with rumors, you know, like Jack Kennedy was shot 50 different times by 34 different conspirators from all different groups and whatever, you know, this kind of thing so that you can't keep track and you give up trying to try. Right. Um, right. But, you know, I don't know. There are a lot of credible threads mentioned here. They talk about Strassmeyer here. They talk about Brescia. They talk about, they don't seem to talk about, I'm just scanning through, but I don't see anything about Jana Davis's BS about the Palestinians and the Iraqi guy. So that's good at least. Uh, yeah, um, and the Washington Post article that I link to in my article on the Libertarian Institute site is coverage of the Aryan Republican Army's uh, trial for the bank robberies. And the Post notes that Timothy McVeigh made a one minute, 46 second phone call to Elohim City. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Post kind of says, you know, who was he calling? Uh, we don't know and we'll never know. And there's no proof he mentioned the robber. He, there's no proof he knew the robbers, and if you think that, you're crazy. So the Post kind of dips its toes into what I think is the truth before getting out real fast and yeah. never returning to it again. Well, and that's how it's always been. You know, the Rocky Mountain News and the Denver Post both would run incredible stories. The AP as well. I remember one time reading like a giant three-page spread in the newspaper by the AP, all about Carol Howe and all what she knew and this and that. But it never took hold as the narrative of the story. It's hundreds of one-off stories, but never the dominant version of what happened there. Uh, not yet, but looks like we're getting there. All right, so tell me more about this guy, Strassmeyer. I mean, um, you think he did it? I don't think he was in Oklahoma City on April 19th. Uh, He has an alibi that he was helping some lady paint a fence. Um, And I think that's corroborated. I I, I think that's likely. Uh, None of the John Doe 2 descriptions match him. But I think he, I'll say he certainly knows more than what he's let on. And I think he might've had something to do with possibly training people or helping plan the bombing in the capacity of a sting operation, trying to catch these guys at the last second. And when the, the, the Nazis fooled the government, uh, Strassmeyer had to freak out and, and flee the country, which is one of the more interesting parts of my interview, I think, is that um, so he was... A guy that helped him escape the country, his name is Dave Holloway, who now is currently a contractor for NASA, meaning that he holds a security clearance. Uh, Holloway was also part of the Texas Light Infantry with Strassmeyer that was under investigation. Uh, He worked for a racialist law firm called Cause with Kirk Lyons. Uh, The 
uh, a firm that McVeigh might have called two days before the bombing. And there were some interesting FBI 302s that were leaked to J.D. Cash, I think in like 97, 98. Uh, one of them that has an, in, uh, there's an FBI informant who had been talking to Dave Holloway at like a boat show or something. And there's really wild stuff in the 302 that the informant tells the FBI that Holloway was describing in detail how the bomb was made. And Holloway was talking about, you know, and the big mistake was the rider truck. It wouldn't fit into the building. And now that Holloway and other people have always denied that this 302 was authentic. Uh, they kind of said it was some informant making up stuff. Uh, but as you can see in my story, Strassmeyer actually told me the exact same thing. He mentioned that he believes that McVeigh probably tried to put the truck inside the building and it wouldn't fit. So to me, that corroborates that earlier 302 um, that talks about Holloway saying the same thing. Hmm. And uh, moreover, another interesting part of my interview is where Strassmeyer confirms another part of the 302 that talks about Dave Holloway being a former CIA pilot. I asked Andy about this, and he seemed to be taken aback by my question that I would even uh, know that, but then he confirmed it. And uh, let me play the audio for you of that, because I believe that might be the most important part of my interview. Uh, so bear with me. Uh, let's go. What a field agent. That he was working for a. I'm sorry. Okay, I, yeah. No, he was a pilot. And he was flying for Air America in, in South America, but a long time before we met. Air America. Okay, I think he, it's on his LinkedIn. It says Intermountain Aviation, which is a CIA subsidiary or like a front yeah, yeah. front company. Yeah, yeah, sure. He was a pilot. Mm -hmm. Okay, but but for a CIA company during Iran Contra, I mean that's kind of spooky, right? No. <laughs> no. No, why? I mean, we all have our past. You know, he served in the military, and uh, I don't, I don't know what else he did there. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he was not a field agent. I said he was working for a, for a yeah front company uh, as a pilot. I mean, I I, I knew that. Mm -hmm. okay. Do you know if he was involved in Iran Contra at all? No, I don't think so. No. So there you go. That's straight from Andy's mouth, confirming that the guy who helped him escape the country was a so-called former CIA pilot or somebody who worked for a CIA front company as a pilot. And I was just shocked that I think I, I don't think he expected that question. Um, it, he paused for a very long time and then he gave me that answer. And I was very, very taken aback. Mm hmm. Hey, listen, Ken, a lot of people are former CIA pilots. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah. and end up in a in a militia that was investigated by the FBI's PATCON operation and then helped Andy Strassmeyer escape the country. And now they have a nice cozy job at NASA as we speak. Mm -hmm. Um all right, so Danny Colson came up. Now, he's interesting because he's an FBI agent who was on the Oklahoma bombing case but has even implicated Strassmeyer uh, uh, previously, I believe, to the BBC, um, at least first. I don't know if he's, you know, reiterated his statements there. But did you – you said you had a discussion about Colson with Strassmeyer, right? Yeah, so – the the show the the whole thing that underpins my story is you know the Showtime series, and one of the most incredible aspects of the show that is that it depicts Timothy McVeigh driving his car into Elohim City, which is something that totally contradicts government's narrative as well as Strassmeyer's. Uh, government and Strassmeyer both say that McVeigh was never at Elohim City. That's just a crazy conspiracy theory. He only called it. He called Elohim City once because he got uh, Andy Strassmeyer's business card, and and nobody knows why McVeigh made the call. Yeah, but we know he got a speeding ticket near there, right? 
That's right. Yeah. Very, very close by, which is more, you know, suspicious circumstantial evidence. Uh, but I believe the most credible evidence comes straight from Danny Colson, who is the founder of the FBI's hostage rescue team. Um, he investigated all kinds of right wing uh, domestic terror groups or extremist groups. He was involved in PatCon. He'd be in position to know. And he says that um, that McVeigh did go to Elohim City. And I don't know. Do you want to play that clip, too? Absolutely. Okay. Um, bear with me. No, this is a clip that you have of Colson that from you your interview of him. This was a 2021 podcast that Richard Booth uh, dug up, where Colson. It's kind of a podcast where former feds just get on, uh, get on online like we are and bullshit about their careers. And it's pretty incredible because Danny Colson, I don't think he actually confirmed this in publicly before, but I think he, you know, he's, he's telling war stories and he let one slip out. So he, let's, let's take a listen. Andrew asks, uh, he says, can Danny talk about a figure in the OK city case, Andreas Strassmeyer, Andy, the German, yeah. I understand yeah. there are a lot of conspiracies about the guy. But some of the details about him are extremely weird. He was the son of Helmut Kohl's chief of staff. He was a far-right extremist, had also lived on a kibbutz and was fluent in Hebrew and a veteran of German military intelligence. So what the hell was a guy like that doing hanging around Elohim City? Okay, that's a great that's a great question. We touched on that in the book a little bit. Um, Strassmeyer, he's a mystery character. Um, some people believe he was working for the Israelis. Uh, some people believe he was working for the Germans. And here's one theory. I, I don't necessarily subscribe to this, but it's a theory. And that is that we were not serving well the German government in dealing with their neo-Nazi problem over there, because we have it here, too. And they were upset with us because we didn't give them any, much information. And the reason we didn't give them much, we didn't have much. Um, the Attorney General guidelines for the FBI on domestic terrorism are very limited. So frankly, it's almost to the point of committing a crime before you can ever even open a case. So the, one of the theories is that he may have been the instigation of McVeigh to blow off the Murrah building to, to raise the consciousness level of neo-Nazis. I'm not saying I subscribe to that, but that's that's one of the theories. And he was, um, he was at Elohim City, um, we know that, uh, we know McVeigh was there when he was there, and he was there with a woman named Carolyn Howe. So, yeah, that uh, I would like to know those answers even more than you, and I'm sure. Yep, there you go. How do you like that, huh? Yeah, and that, that's very interesting. I think Danny was trying to suggest that Strassmeyer was a possibly a, an informant who had gone rogue, uh, gone native, I believe. I believe there's emails between him and uh, journalist J.D. Cash, who pretty much did all the work that I'm trying to build on, uh, where Colson raises that theory to Cash, saying Strassmeyer was probably so connected to the government, but went native and helped the Nazis carry out the attack. Hmm. Yeah, I don't buy that. Yeah, I, I don't I don't buy that either. I think Danny is trying to protect uh, his own his own career or maybe his possibly mistakes he made in that investigation. Yeah, um, you know what? I have some more clips of him. Let me see how long they are. Eh, not too bad here. Let me play a couple of clips for you. This is from Colson talking to the BBC a few years back. Okay. There's a lot of questions who he is, who he works for. Does he work for, for someone in the United States? Does he work for the federal government or did he work for a government overseas? Did he work for the Israelis? The Israelis certainly have an interest in looking at neo-Nazis I mean, that, because of their history. The Germans have a significant problem with neo-Nazis in their country and they were not happy with our investigations here. Um, was he working for them? I don't know the answer to it. What I do know is he wasn't just bumming around. <laughs> <laughs> nice audio mix there to the for the BBC guy, and then, um, 
You know what? There's two more of Colson on Strassmeyer. It's it's interesting, isn't it? How he says the exact same thing in that clip is virtually what you just played. But hang on, I got more. Well, you know, a person can claim a lot of things, but you're known by the company you keep. We learned that from the time we we're little children. And if you're hanging around with some uh, uh, Aryans and uh, the Aryans are involved in criminal activity, it's kind of hard to say that you don't think about it. It's like uh, be like hanging out with a choir and didn't know they sang. It's it's exactly the same type of thing. And uh, he knew what they were up to. He knew what he was doing there. And we should have interviewed him. More calls. To my knowledge, he was never interviewed by any FBI agents. He was interviewed by two assistant United States attorneys with an FBI agent present on the phone taking notes. But there was never a face-to-face uh, sit down, come to Jesus meeting with the FBI. That never occurred. And, it, I mean, one of the possibilities could have been that they could have issued a material witness, witness warrant for him and gone over and got him and brought him home or brought him here and see exactly what he knows. And he might not have told us anything, but at least it was a piece of the puzzle that we should have looked at. So, yeah, they didn't have any interest in doing that. And if he's such a good kid, he would have cooperated, right? Um, let me ask you this, Ken. Did you ask him about the... After all, I don't think we have the audio of this. Maybe it exists somewhere, but we have the in the book by Evans Ambrose Pritchard, the Telegraph reporter, that he admitted it, essentially, and said that he did it, but he was scared because, geez, it wasn't supposed to happen. It was supposed to be a sting, and it, instead a bunch of people got killed. I did ask him about that, and he claims that he was misquoted, and other researchers might not agree with me, but I, I kind of tend to think Andy might be a little credible on this one. If you look at Ambrose Everett's Pritchard's, you know, his, his printout of the interview, it's almost too perfect. I like, I think at the very end, he mentions like, um, yeah, he, when, when Ambrose Everett's Pritchard says he puts all the pieces together and pre- presents them to Strassmeyer, Strassmeyer goes like, Shiza. And like, I, I don't know, that doesn't sound like something that a, uh, a trained undercover operative would just blurt out. And to Strassmeyer's point, he has challenged Pritchard to produce audio of the interview. And apparently Pritchard has not. Um, you know, that doesn't mean Pritchard's all his journalism is bunk, but um, I would like to actually hear it. Uh, I know I record all my interviews like we're playing the footage right now so hope maybe Pritchard will eventually produce the audio I don't know uh, that's interesting well but he has been publicly challenged on it and has publicly said that well I don't have it anymore or something along those lines that so that's according to Strassmeyer I see uh, but I just I, why wouldn't that already be public by now why wouldn't Pritchard make that public uh, I I would like to maybe talk to him. Yeah. You know what? As long as we're playing things, here's some Carol Howe. I gave them warnings, targets, specific targets, addresses of targets, names of targets. I know of too many people that were talking about that building, talking about Oklahoma City talking about doing something on that date using a truck bomb. It's, it cannot be coincidence to use that many specifics. The conspiracy mm. theory says the government yeah, yeah, had yeah. clear all warning. Right, anyway, sorry, I got to clean all that up. But, um, yeah, and by the way, I spaced out earlier, so I'm glad I played that clip because um, now I can say the thing that I forgot before, which was it was so obvious that the prosecution of Carol Howe was completely a frame-up just to keep her off the stand for the McVeigh trial. Stephen Jones, she'd have been the star witness for Stephen Jones, but she was under federal indictment preparing to go to trial, and so that precluded her from being a witness. Judge Mach, um, who will ever go down and forever will be remembered in history as a slimebag, corrupt judge, a servant of the Department of Justice and their lies in this case, uh, ruled that, oh, no, well, she can't testify in this trial if she's about to have one on her own. And yet her trial was, oh, she had a length of pipe in her garage and she had Nazi propaganda. Yeah, well, she was a Nazi turned undercover informant infiltrating Nazis. And then and she had a length of pipe in her garage. Huh? I don't know whatever the other materials were, but it wasn't real explosives. 
It was all just props for her costume, essentially. And they knew that. She was working for them. Well, for Treasury, but still. So Justice prosecuted her. And as someone who was paying attention at the time, that was the most transparent thing in the world. And her lawyer said so, and Stephen Jones, Timothy McVeigh's lawyer, said so too. That, come on, man, the only reason, she worked for them. The only reason they've indicted her, so I can't have her, judge. And the judge's like, yep, tough. Yeah, that's right. And I believe after Howell was exonerated, she ended up testifying in a Terry Nichols trial, who Nichols was a minor accomplice who helped McVeigh build the bomb but wasn't there on April 19th. And he's serving life in prison. But one of the reasons they didn't put him to death was probably because of Howe's testimony and the jury believing that there were others involved. Yep. Man. All right. Any other big points? Oh, you uh, warned me before we started recording that he said something terrible about my buddy Jesse Trinidou. So I guess go ahead and let me hear that so I can be angry at this guy more even. Yeah, the American hero Jesse Trinidou, who's whose work as an attorney suing the FBI for records on the Oklahoma City bombing is just absolutely crucial to our understanding of what really happened. Now, so this came up because I asked Andy about, you know, getting a Freedom of Information Act uh, for the U.S. government to get all the records about him. And Andy said, well, yeah, anybody can do that, and it'll prove that I'm innocent. And according to Jesse, and I, I definitely believe Jesse, he has no motive to lie. Uh, Jesse tried to get Strassmeyer back in 2006 to sign a privacy waiver so Jesse could FOIA all his records. Because if nobody's um, been actually, like, I think, charged with a crime, you can't just get records about them because people have privacy rights. But if Strassmeyer would have signed a waiver, we could have all his records, but that never happened. And I put this to Strassmeyer, and here's what he had to say in response to Jesse. Request yep. on Strassmeyer and, you know, discover all the yeah, truth. You, yeah, you know who did. That's how I, that's how my, my friend, my address uh, attorney to uh, fired for that. So he was, uh, wanted to know what would have happened to his brother, right? And he probably tripped over my name. And he had this thing released, actually. Well, no, he so he told me that they wouldn't give him the FBI and other government agencies wouldn't give him records about you because of the Privacy Act. And then he tried to convince you to sign a, a privacy waiver and you never you you initially agreed. But then I guess you you never called, did that. That's Bullock. My girlfriend, she got it. She has my she, has, she got my file. Uh, did you did you sign the privacy waiver? I don't think so. So you have record. So your your girlfriend got records on you, but not Jesse then, because Jesse says he never got the records he sought because you wouldn't sign the privacy waiver. To be honest, I don't trust Jesse Trenter. You, I think he's full of shit. To be honest, uh, I'm sorry what happened to his brother, right? But I mean, he is. I don't trust him. I mean. He's full of it. I mean, he's making wrong claims and stuff like this. He is highly suspicious. Well, what would his motive be? He's just trying to get justice for his brother. Well, exactly, exactly. But uh, he might get caught up in some kind of, uh, you know, conspiracy theories, and uh, you know, he, 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 uh, you know, for some reason he thinks I'm involved in anything or whatever. And uh, I don't know why he couldn't get my file if other people could. That makes me that makes me a little bit suspicious. Uh, suspicious that he's lying, or that? Uh, why, why? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, if people can have can can get my files, why why can't he? Or why you say that he can't? I mean, good question. Maybe, maybe, are you are you in touch with him? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, why don't you why don't you ask him next time? Say, hey, you know. Uh, and his ex-girlfriend, she showed, she's a journalist, she showed him this, this file, you know, and he looked through it and said, okay, pile of garbage. <laughs> it's just, when I looked at it, I mean, I've seen, I'm, I didn't read all of it, but, uh, you know, the fun part of it, so, 
Yeah. So it's basically nothing, to be honest, you know, so. I guess, what, what do you mean by FBI file? Because Jesse's been asking for like any and all records the FBI holds that references you, so. I... No, I have a file, apparently. You know, I, I guess people, some people have a file at the FBI. You know, I have a file with a, with a, with a former communist, with a Stasi, uh, with an officer. I also, I also have a file with the with German police because I was a, as a witness at some point. So um, the FBI probably has a file, and it's called Andreas Strassmeier. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, my ex-girlfriend, she got hold of it, and she had a big, big well, kind of a stack of paper. Uh, a lot of names blackened out, of course, and she uh, looked at it, there had some questions about some stuff, and... And uh, basically nothing, except one thing was really laughable. I think it was my file that they think that Holloway flew me out of the country, you know, with uh, all that Air America flew me out, or CIA flew me out of the country. Yeah, so that's the gist of what he had to say about uh, Jesse. Uh, I, I did get in touch with Jesse, who obviously he debunked that, said that he never signed it, and I never got the records that I sought for Strassmeyer and later uh you know that could be reconciled with just geez you know your girlfriend got lucky but when Jesse tried it they wouldn't give it over so would you please sign a waiver a second time just to make sure eh? yeah that's exactly right and later he followed up he sent me a message Strassmeyer did uh kind of changing his story for why he doesn't like Jesse uh, he wrote me this. He said, I was picking my brain why I'm not a fan of his. I remember that years ago he was communicating with my then girlfriend. One day she came to my place all in tears because Trenadu had told her that I was going to be extradited. Nice move, Jesse. You made my girlfriend cry by telling her lies in order to spook me because Trenadu crossed a line here. You should never cross a line. He was prompted into my personal, quote, part of the problem group. So that was Strassmeyer's follow-up for why he doesn't like Jesse and I guess why now he feels justified in not signing the privacy waiver. Hmm. Well, would he sign it for you? You're a journalist working on the story. I'll, I'll definitely ask him. Yeah, I have. I, I, could, I could contact him uh, right when we stop talking, and I will put that question to him. That's, that's a very good point. Yeah. Man. This is really something. Um, I wish I could uh, just uh, somehow convince you to play the entire interview, and we'll just tack it on to the end of this thing, but I guess you're not going to do that. <laughs> Are you writing follow-up articles? I So I've given the audio to Richard, to Wendy, to Jesse. Okay, and that's good. Right now, yeah, right now I don't want to totally burn the bridge with Andy, uh, like he actually messaged me last night with some feedback on my article, uh, some things he disputed, but overall he actually thanked me for accurately quoting him. And so at this point, I don't feel comfortable in publishing the total audio, but if any of your listeners who are researching the case have specific questions, I might consider uh, releasing certain other excerpts if people have specific questions. And at some point, We'll publish the whole thing. Um, all right. Well, listen, great job, Ken. Uh, thank you for your time on the show and for playing all that great audio of us, man. That's a real scoop you got there. Well, well thank you very much for the platform, and thank you for, you know, devoting uh, so much of your resources towards this case. I know you're you're a foreign policy expert. You do not get anything out of, uh, you know, promoting this research. You just do it because you care about the case. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I thank you for that. That that's really, that's really great. Cool. Well, I've been like this since April 19th, 95. So nice. uh, too late to turn it off now. Um, but yeah, man, thank you very much, Ken. Appreciate you. All right. Thanks again, Scott. All right, you guys, that is Ken Silva and you can find everything that he writes at the Libertarian Institute, including this important article. Oh man, if I can ever click on the right tab here, where did it go? Andre Strassmeyer responds to TV miniseries depicting him as OKC terrorist by Ken Silva from May 22nd. The Scott Horton Show and Anti-War Radio 
can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, APSradio.com, Antiwar.com, ScottHorton.org, and LibertarianInstitute.org.